Welcome to the Peak Community Church Podcast, where weekly messages are available for your hearing. Uh, roughly about six weeks ago, and, and basically what I've been preaching out of is the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. Um, basically... This series is called Hashtag I Believe, and I thought it was very appropriate, that last song, right, of what we believe. He is more than enough. He is sufficient. His blood is sufficient. But we as Christians, we, we must not only know what we believe, but we must know why we believe it. And we have to know it and see it through the lens of Scripture, and for the past couple of weeks, we've covered uh, message titles, hashtag I believe, Father God. I think we had uh, part one and part two. Hashtag I believe creator, J-C-O-L, Jesus Christ our Lord, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And last, year, last week, we did hashtag I believe suffered. He suffered. We answered questions regarding important theological topics such as the Trinity, creation, some of the characteristics of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Immaculate Conception, and the virgin birth, as well as his crucifixion. I want to invite you, church, if you missed any of these messages, if it sounds interesting, if you want to catch up on any of the things that we've been preaching and teaching here at the peak, grab our podcast. Just, you know, go onto your device, uh, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or just simply go to our website, um, thepeakcc.com, and visit our sermon page. Everything is there available for your listening. Amen? Because it answers, hashtag I believe has been an important sermon series because it answers some of the challenges that we're facing today. You know, there's a real attack upon our faith in light of current everyday circumstances. Yesterday at Men's Fellowship, uh, one of the topics that was being discussed was real men lead. Don't get it twisted, gentlemen. It is, you are charged with being the spiritual leader, the high priest of your home. You were created and designed to lead. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, any of the lies, any of the distractions that would pull you away from intentionally, purposefully leading is an attack of the adversary. I see too many grown men going from one day to the next day and not having any intention on their life. Not having any plan in regards to what they're doing, where they're going, what their purpose is. It seems that they just go in one day one out, one day, one out, wake up, brush my teeth, go to work, come home, have dinner, do a couple of things, watch TV, play video games, go to sleep, wake up, brush my teeth, go to work, and day in and day out, and it's stagnant. Not that you're doing bad things, but that you're not progressing. And if we're not progressing, to stay still and to stay stagnant is actually regressing come on real men lead they not only lead but they lead to jesus christ and and the confrontation that 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 we had yesterday the challenge that was posed is that why aren't we as men who are called and created to lead 
Why are we not speaking out? Why are not we speaking up in regards to our faith? So many of us were, were subjected to this fear by those who in the name of tolerance refuse to tolerate us. Often we have so much infighting across denominational lines. Come on, Christians, Catholics, Orthodox, Reformed, Pentecostals, Baptists, Adventists, born again. Let me tell you something, family. Here, here I'm going to give you, I'm going to give it to you like it is. When we get to heaven, we ain't groups. We ain't categories. We ain't cliques. We ain't races or tongues and creeds. We are all one in Christ. And if we cannot be told the difference between you and I who are in Jesus and those who are in the world, they may proclaim to know Jesus, but how they living? Come on. The proof is in the pudding. You know what this world finds so unbelievable? A bunch of hypocrites. According to the people of the world, huh? Christians versus Christians. No, you have to worship on a Saturday. No, you have, the Eucharist is the body. It's the transubstantiation. No, you have to get baptized in water and blah, 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 blah. Who in the world would be attracted to that? Pun intended. Who in the world would be attracted to that? Can't find the unity. Can't find be, the being of one mind, of one accord, one spirit. It's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee. He is the one that has been deposited inside the believer who has received the forgiveness of sins. The wages of sin is death. That's separation from God. The gift of God is his forgiveness so that we can have union once again. And if I'm in union with God and you are in union with God, then we are in communion. To the outside unbelieving world, it would seem that we Christians don't really understand what it is that we believe. Or more importantly, why we believe it. So many of us don't have a reasonable defense for our faith. We're reluctant to speak on it in fear that we'd wind up doing more damage than good. Huh? I, I get myself into something. I want to kind of defend what I'm saying, but I don't have enough theological depthness in order to be able to make an intelligent argument. And so if I'm not going to be willing to make that stand, let me make no stand at all. Let me avoid the fight. This way I don't have to look like a fool. It's not God's intention. Here's a side note regarding the ministry of sharing your faith. Three things that you ought to think of to remember and or consider before you share your faith. Remember, point number one, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You can, you could be full of theological information, but if you have no love, ain't nobody going to receive it from you. Meanwhile, you may not have the theological proudness, but you have love within your heart. You have something to give. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Be relational. The second one is wait till a person gives you a platform to speak into their lives. Come on. 
Too many of us, we, we, we're diving off the, 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 the diving board and there's no water in the pool. You, you want to get involved and you think you're helping someone, but th- someone hasn't asked for your help. Until someone is ready. Until someone has recognized. Until you've been around enough that they trust you and, and they're willing to be vulnerable with you. Wait for a person to give you their permission. Don't just jump in there. Don't assume anything. Oh, well, the Holy Spirit is with me. My brother, there's a spirit with you. I don't know how holy it is. <laughs> if, 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 if you're going to go ahead and, and, and step on people's toes. And the third thing, probably the most important thing, before you speak to someone regarding spiritual matters, make sure you've spoken to the God, your father, who created both you and the person. Know you're coming from a position of love. Know that you're coming of a, from a position of discernment. Know that you're coming from a position of concern. Hallelujah. Do we have any dog owners in the house? I know this is random now. Yeah, you like dogs? Dogs? Ever have a dog? Know somebody who has a dog? We have a dog. (laughs) We have a dog. His name is Cody. Oh, little Cody. Kristen, look look how she lights up. That's the mama. (laughs) Cody dog. He's our dog. He's very entertaining. Um, and, 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 And he really, believe it or not, God uses him. Uh, he, he uses him. I, I see illustrations. I see life. In fact, I'm working on a message right now. I think it's called, uh, I think I'm going to title it Dog Years. It's going to be a good message. But um, I wanted to just kind of introduce Cody to you. Oscar? Where or where did my snack go? Where can it be? What's <laughs> Cody? I think I think dog lovers I think dog lovers get it um, you know there are people that love dogs and then there are people that love dogs um, people get real serious about dogs and, and, and those people that get real serious about dogs, and you're talking about like breeds and work dogs and shepherd dogs and rescue dogs. And, and if there's ever any question in regards to a dog and its, and its breed, right? Dog aficionados always revert back to what's called the pedigree. The pedigree. If anybody knows what the pedigree is, the pedigree is like the family tree. That's the family line. Huh? Real dog lovers understand the importance of the pedigree. It's the record of descent of an animal showing it to be a purebred. So, so the pedigree will bring you back to the beginning. The pedigree brings you to origins. And from the origin, then you get an understanding of, of the animal that you have in front of you today. So the, pre, the pedigree brings you back to the beginning. Look at your neighbor and tell them, when you've lost your direction... Go back to the beginning. (laughs) 
when we've lost our direction, we need to get back to the beginning. It's incredible what you can track in a pedigree. Like we could trace back to the origins of this little creature. Is he up yet? Right? I mean, <laughs> honestly, like, like kind of a low-key, high-key, I'm really interested in knowing what mom and dad look like. I mean, look at this dog. How about this rare, stylish diva? Now, that's an interesting hairdo. Now, <laughs> that was, where's the other one? <laughs> I'm interested in these dogs' pedigree. I want to find out a little more information about them. But here's, here's what's clear. is The better you understand something's origin, the better you can speak to its reality. The better you understand something's origin, the better you are all doubt. If, if you understand something's beginning, you, you have no fear speaking to it. Last night, as I do most every Saturday night, it's become my routine. I was gathering the week's thoughts, notes, scriptures, illustrations, the thing that I've thought of throughout the week. I do a lot of brainstorming and scriptures and writing. And, and so generally, Saturday night, I'm, I'm, I get into my office, I lock myself in, and I gather all of that together in order to then, every message that's preached here is fresh. I, I, I seek for a fresh word from the Lord for this body. And so as I was gathering, uh, my lovely wife enters the office and sees that I'm struggling in my thoughts and I mentioned some old catechisms. I'm going back into some old school catechism as I'm preparing for this message. Um, Heidelberg's catechism, Westminster's catechism. I, I mentioned a, a particular book, uh, Dante's Inferno. Uh, uh, why did I mention that book? My wife just kind of like lit up literary arts. Like now I'm just speaking her language and she just got up there and she was interested and, 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 and intrigued. And let's face it, hell is not the most Hell, in its most realistic and literal sense, is not the most favorable conversation topics, is it? I don't know too many people who go on the first date and the first topic of conversation is, Oh, I know. <laughs> Let's talk about hell. I'm going to talk about death and hell and torment. Yet, Jesus taught on hell more than any other biblical writer. I mean, can you imagine someone asking Jesus... What the hell are you talking about? And Jesus responding, all of it, like I know. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Hell didn't happen to hell did happen to be a very important biblical topic of conversation. It wasn't to scare people into a religion, but rather to show a love so great that it would illuminate the path out of religion and into authentic relationship with the one who created us. It's not King Buffet. Just because I don't like the concept of a topic doesn't mean that I have the right to dismiss it and silence it. As I began to speak to Eunice regarding hell, it became clear that she gave life to this very illustration. In fact, if, if, if I wanted to just close your eyes, everybody just close your eyes for a minute. Don't worry, the ushers are there, they're watching. She pointed out that people's understanding would be subject, would be a subjective truth of the individual's interpretation. How many people know that after a statement like that? It's very interesting being married to Eunice. <laughs> like she's brilliant. And she's right. 
As I mentioned to you right now with your eyes closed, the word hell, the actual physical place after death, what are some of the pictures? What are some of the thoughts that come through your mind? You can open your eyes now. We, we, as most of us would immediately go to kind of the fire and the brimstone. We, 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 we hear and see the visions of the gnashing of teeth. And it's no wonder why we have a difficult time with this portion of the Apostles' Creed. I mean, we, we went through the fact last week that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. Most of us, we don't, we don't have a problem accepting that. But, the next line, he descended into hell. Even as a kid growing up Catholic and being an altar boy, for whatever reason, whenever we went through the Apostles' Creed, that, 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 this line kind of just rubbed me the wrong way. It struck a nerve. In, in fact, to look at it through that lens, so many unanswered questions ensue. Like, like when we look at this catechism under this light, did, did Jesus have to suffer additionally? Does this negate the sufficiency of the cross? Where was his soul? Now, Paul, here's my disclaimer for you, buddy. If any catechism are at odds with the scripture on any point, we always revert back to the source that was God-breathed. The scripture trumps it all. 2 Timothy 3.16, for all of scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired, and good for correction and reproof. But at the same time, we got to understand and know that the Protestant view of sola scriptura has never denied the role of creeds and confessions. Indeed, Protestant confessions like the Belgic Confession or the 39 Articles explicitly affirm the three creeds. That's the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. For those whom the words into hell immediately conjure up images of Jesus being tormented, Matthew Emerson wrote a book. He dissects this issue right out the gate. He writes that one point regarding absolute clarity is that descent into hell did not mean until Calvin descended into the place of torment. The creedal Latin varies between ad inferno, descended into hell, and ad inferos, descended to the dead ones. And these were cinnamons until the Reformation. See, it wasn't until the 1500s that Calvin brought this vision of this torment. So I don't blame anyone for refusing to confess that Jesus went to hell and suffered. This is not a theologically sound view. But since almost no one in the church held that understanding for the first 1,500 years, to me it seems a shame for evangelicals today to think that they have to choose between violating their conscience, reciting the creed, and or remaining silent. To give a system, that's what so many have done, avoiding any further conflict. Or having to give a systematic theological explanation for their stand or their position. If we were to examine the pedigree, the pedigree of scripture, if we were to go back to origins, go back to the beginning, to understand the canonization of the scriptures, 
we would not have to fear having this discussion. Jesus did not go to hell, a place of torment. However, he went to hell, a place of the dead. Emerson sums it up like this. Jesus experienced death as all humans do. His body was buried and his soul departed to the place of the dead. And in so doing by virtue of his divinity, he defeated death and the grave. Hallelujah. Now we can glean from, from scripture and we know the parable of Lazarus, right? And, and, and the rich man where, 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 where the rich man and Lazarus, they both died and, and the, the, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom to this place, Sheol. And the rich man also died and was buried, but he went to a place of torment, Hades. And we see that these two places, almost like a, like a bullpen where, where the righteous dead from, from Abel on right through Abraham to, to David, all of the righteous dead being kind of assembled in this bullpen. It wasn't a place of torment. It wasn't a place of, of hurting. It was a place of waiting. But aside from that, there was also another bullpen. All of the unrighteous dead. And, and they were separated. Now, not that there was torment and the, the torment as a gnashing of teeth in this bullpen. Oh, it was heat. And the torment that's described is torment of separation. Relay torment here when we're outside of Jesus. And so here we are with the historical evidence and the spiritual witness of one who came back from the grave. And yet so many of us refuse to hear. We have, we have testimonies. But so many of us have been forced to silence. They not only have ears to hear, they don't have ears to hear, but they are angry and hateful of the truth that we speak. So many are afraid to speak up or speak out in fear of being labeled. Oh, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a transphobe, a homophobe, or some other type of phobia. But for the person that's been saved by grace, this is a religion, this is relationship. Huh? How, how many of us, we, 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 we forget who we were. We, we've been saved by grace. I wasn't always a pastor, I wasn't always a preacher, come on now. I had my BC days. You know who I was? Come on. I couldn't stand me. Jesus came, revealed himself to me, transformed me, showed me his reality. I firmly believe that if we have a clear, objective, and theologically sound perspective, if we're able to give a focused, intelligent defense of what we believe and why we believe it, we wouldn't be so reluctant to speak up or to speak out. If we understood the things theologically that we believe and can explain it simply and plainly to people, we would have no fear. And if people would truly understand that we don't fear, I don't fear man, I don't fear your lifestyle. I don't, I don't fear who could destroy this body. 
I'm not, I, I should have been dead like three times ago. I, I'm living on God's grace. I'm, 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 this is the fact that I'm alive is nothing but God's grace. Afraid? I don't fear lifestyles. I don't fear sinful. Dogs are going to bark and snakes are going to bite. Sinful people are going to sin. I don't fear that. I love people. I was once lost. I was once blind. Ignorant. He showed me a better way. And if he showed it to me, I know he can show it to anybody. He can show it to anybody. Anybody. The Old Testament speaks of going down to Sheol, Hades, or Abraham's bosom, and seeing this as a happy place of the dead. Not to be mistaken, mistaken with Gehenna. Gehenna's Greek word, and, and really it was a place that was right outside of the city where all the garbage was burnt. It was a foul smell. It was hot. It was smelly. It was stinky. It was, it was horrid. And people like it, you could smell it for, for miles and miles when, when they were incinerating all of that garbage. This, this place, Gehenna, was, was viewed as a place reserved for the fallen angels, the run righteous dead. This is the lake of fire. But you know that that lake of fire is still not in existence? Come on. The lake of fire is reserved. It's reserved for the after the white throne judgment. See, because he came, and when he came, he came as the Lamb of God, born in a manger. He, he was the sacrificial lamb that would take away our sins. But he's getting ready to come back. His coming back is is upon us according to the revelation of scriptures. Even unbelievers know that we're living in the last days of last days. Let's get that confession even from unbelievers. We who are believers are without excuse. Acts 2, 36, men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, by wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by, him being delivered by the hands, have crucified and been put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, 800 years before Jesus' birth, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Peter goes on to describe this. Men and brethren, let me speak to you freely as to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. 
Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy for he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. His enemies, his footstool. You, you remember Genesis chapter 3, the first prophecy of the coming Messiah? I'm going to put enmity between your seed and, and his seed. And he's going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. Where's, where's the adversary? Where are you standing? Where are you stomping? Where are you, where is the adversary in your life? What is the temptation he's bringing before you? What's the distraction he's trying to pull you away from? Where is it? Because let me tell you something. If he's in his rightful place, he's underneath my feet in Jesus name. There's a victory that we have. There is a power and authority that we have because he solved the riddle of the grave. There's not a one of us that needs to fear death, but can stand on righteousness knowing that because he lives, we live. Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 10. But to each one of us, Grace, grace, unmerited favor was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, he ascended on high. He led captivity captive. Hallelujah. And he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he first also had to descend into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. By his descent into Sheol family, he was able to lead the captivity captive. Hallelujah. Woo. This is why Paul, uh, the psalmist David wrote, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hallelujah. 
when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we have an advocate that not only knows what it's like to die. Yeah, he died on our behalf. But we have a savior that also knows what it's like to be dead. He dwelt in the place of the dead for three days. Our high priest understands better than we think. Jesus really does. And we, when we are in, when we or our loved ones stand on the brink of death, we can draw comfort from knowing that our Savior has already been there. He's already walked through the gates of Hades and he's come back with the keys. Revelations 1, 12 through 19. I'll finish off with this scripture. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Family, this isn't good news. This is great news. Because the one who experienced death for you is now ascended on high and is even now preparing his final descent. He's coming back. He's coming back. Let me ask you a question, family. Does death still have a grip on your heart? When you think of death and hell, is there insecurities, uncertainty? Do you know the resurrected Christ? He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified was dead and buried and he descended into hell and three days later he came out victorious holding the keys there is no longer any chain or shackle that can hold us back God's love is now available to be received with clean and pure hearts because of the forgiveness of his sins over our lives you don't have to live in shame or condemnation any longer you don't have to have fear oh but I don't really know the theology you got a story 
You don't need a theology if you know the theologian. You know Jesus. You know Jesus. And if you don't know him, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? There's no magic words. This is just a, an open heart that says, God, I'm sorry. I'm sinful and, and I do things that go against your purpose and your will. And I'm sorry. Forgive me and give me strength. Guide my steps. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let your grace, oh God, shower upon me. That I no longer am the person who used to be. But I can be, oh God, the person who you created me to be. And if that's your heart, he is faithful. He is able. Just watch what he does. It's shut up by some. Church is a young, vibrant, life-giving church in the heart of Peekskill. Come and visit us on Sunday mornings, 10 a.m.